0: Hello, everyone. My name is Warner Ha. Huh. I'm the chair of the Department of OBGYN at the University of Alabama, Birmingham. I'd like to welcome you to this podcast as a part of the series, Women's Health with Dr. Ha. Huh. Today's topic is going to be on fertility preservation and fertility, something that I'm really excited about talking about. And I'm going to welcome my two guests, Dr. Janine Arbuckle, who is an associate professor in Women's Reproductive Health Division at the Department of OBGYN at UAB, and as well as Dr. Sakamal Campbell, who is an assistant professor in the Division of Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility again here at UAB? So, welcome to both of you.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: So, this is great. I'm really excited about having both of you here. So, can you maybe, Dr. Campbell, tell me a little bit about what exactly is fertility preservation and oncofertility for our listeners?
2: Sure. So, oncofertility or fertility preservation is the process of helping patients kind of protect their future ability to have a child after their cancer diagnosis or after their cancer treatment. It involves consultation with a reproductive specialist to discuss their goals and their future desires, as well as kind of the options that we have available prior to treatment start to help protect their future fertility. And these services are provided in partnership with their oncologist who care for these patients closely and we communicate the patient's desires with them.
0: And so, again, this is not just for patients who have cancer, but anyone really who is interested in preserving their future fertility for whatever medical reason or otherwise. Is that correct?
2: Right, exactly.
0: Okay. So Dr. Arbuckle, I was hoping that maybe you can comment on the treatments that commonly affect future fertility.
1: Yeah, we typically think of those therapies that might injure the ovary and its ability to mature eggs as being those that are going to be most likely to affect their future fertility. Commonly, therapies that are used to treat cancer-specific chemotherapies are going to be the biggest offenders, but we'll also see some damage to the ovary with radiation to the pelvis.
0: And so just to be clear to the listeners, it's really any chemotherapy that's used for any malignancy that could be damaging to the ovary. Would that be correct?
1: That's exactly correct. So it doesn't have to be a gynecologic cancer that affects the gynecologic system, but any cancer.
0: And then we're obviously most concerned about radiation therapy that's targeted in the pelvic area where the ovaries exist. That's correct. Okay. All right. I mean, I think that's really important to understand that irrespective of what kind of cancer an individual has, that if they're getting treated with most of the common chemotherapies, they're at risk for future infertility. That's correct. So, along those same lines, Dr. Arbuckle, I was wondering maybe you can comment on the options and how one preserves their fertility.
1: Yeah, so the major thing that our goal is is to re- retrieve and preserve oocytes. And women can undergo various stimulation cycles to retrieve their oocytes and either preserve them as oocytes, the individual cells, or mer- if they're partnered, merge them with their partner sperm in the form of an embryo. And then that embryo can then be preserved.
0: And what do you do in the circumstance in which, let's say, a patient is about to receive radiation, let's say radiation to the pelvis?
1: Yeah, so a lot of malignancies do need to be treated by radiation, and we also have the option to move the ovaries from their traditional location in the pelvis into an area where they would not be in that radiation field.
0: So again, so just to recap, so what I'm hearing in terms of preservation is that you can preserve either the oocytes or the eggs Mm -hmm. or combine the eggs with sperm and create an embryo and preserve the embryo. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Okay, good. So Dr. Campbell, can you comment on newer technologies approaches for addressing fertility preservation?
2: Sure. So one of the newer techniques that we have More commonly available now is ovarian tissue cryopreservation, which is just freezing strips of pieces of the ovary to use at a future time. And previously this was only an option that was done as part of a research study or a protocol for young girls who had not yet gone through puberty, but now it's being offered in many places as an option for all women, maybe those who don't have time to pursue egg freezing through IVF, which can commonly take two weeks. And it's done through surgery, through laparoscopy. Portions of the ovary are removed and then frozen frozen in time, basically until the patient has completed their treatment. And it can be re-transplanted back into the ovary or even into another site in their body for ovarian function and for the possibility of future fertility.
0: I think that is absolutely amazing. So what yeah. I'm hearing from you is that you could take a portion of your ovarian tissue that has eggs or oocytes, store that, and then re-implant that to be used for a future date to basically acquire oocytes so the patient can get pregnant.
2: Yeah, it's pretty amazing
0: technology. 20 years ago, I think that would be totally unheard of. Right. And I think that's incredible. But in just to be clear, this is progressively becoming a part of the standard of care for fertility preservation.
2: Exactly, it's becoming more, more commonly used and offered in many institutions for all women that could pursue fertility preservation.
0: And I have to ask, I mean, this is something that we obviously, we offer at UAB as well.
2: We're getting there. We're starting to develop our protocols so that we can also offer it in conjunction with specialists like Dr. Arbuckle or Pediatric who could harvest the tissue for preservation in the future.
0: It's amazing. Yeah. So cool. So in, in the interest of being sort of balanced to our listeners so they understand the other side, which is you know, obviously we're hearing these amazing technologies that are being developed. Could you talk about the timeline related to this? And like What can patients expect? So if they want to do this, what's the time investment to do it?
1: Yeah, so the goal in oocyte and embryo preservation is to stimulate the ovaries to get the maximum number of eggs or oocytes from the ovary. And it was traditionally thought that you had to be in a particular part of your cycle. In reality, that can be started at a random time with relationship to your menstrual cycle. So if a patient was in need of pretty rapid turnaround and needed to pursue chemotherapy, they would be able to start their stimulation cycle and retrieve oocytes within about two weeks. When we talk about that therapy that Dr. Campbell was discussing as far as ovarian tissue cryopreservation, that can be done really just immediately before the patient begins their therapy. It can be done concomitantly with another procedure that might ultimately need to be done to deliver their chemotherapy.
0: So it sounds like that Patients have to be relatively proactive, knowing this information, if they're going to take advantage of, particularly if they're being treated for cancer. But That's right. Accurate.
1: So ideally, you would intervene before they've started any type of gananoxic therapy. Yeah.
0: And so, I, my advice to the listeners, uh, for those of you that are interested, particularly for our cancer patients or patients who have unfortunately been diagnosed with cancer, you all would agree that the advice is to ask about the services that are available and to seek them in a timely fashion because obviously time is of the essence. I'm assuming that you guys would agree with that. Yes, definitely. Okay. What about other barriers, barriers including costs? Again, I want to be fair and, and balanced when we're having this conversation. So could you give the listeners a sense of how those costs are covered, Dr. Campbell? Because obviously not everyone can afford this and what they should expect. Right.
2: That's a really good point. You know, one of the biggest issues that we face with our patients is often the barrier of cost. Many states do not have mandates for insurance coverage. Even for treatments such as cancer treatments, which cause infertility, there's no insurance mandate in Alabama to pay for those therapies for our patients, which is a huge disservice at times because cost is prohibitive for them. Other barriers could be their concern regarding their disease and not wanting to delay their treatment for fear that they may be worsening their prognosis by a time delay of even two weeks. Thankfully, most studies have kind of shown that a two-week time delay is not significant in, in their overall survival, which can be encouraging to patients. Also, another barrier would be for providers, time delays in clinic and not having the time to discuss fertility when they've already addressed many other challenging topics with the patient, like their new diagnosis and treatment plans and things like that. So there's kind of barriers on both sides, both for the patient, but also for the provider that could prevent these discussions from happening.
0: Okay, that's amazing. So I think what I'm hearing from you is again, that the short delay is not likely to negatively impact their outcomes. But again, for the listeners, given the permanency of many of these treatments on one's fertility, I would think that it's time probably well spent at the minimum to get the information so they can make an informed decision about whether or not to pursue this path. Right, exactly. I think it's,
2: it's beneficial even if patients choose not to pursue fertility preservation to just have that conversation and maintain their autonomy to make that decision for themselves.
0: Okay. Well, you know, it's been amazing to me because I, I think that there is clearly a growing population of women that are pursuing fertility preservation for whatever reason. And it kind of blows my mind that we have these options that are available to patients. But I don't know if you guys have any closing comments or thoughts that you want to share with the listeners.
2: I think it's it's important for patients to be proactive, like you suggested, Dr. Ha, you know, asking their providers for a referral early in the process to a reproductive specialist that can have those conversations with them and to not be afraid to bring up that topic of fertility because they may, due to the fear of their cancer, not talk about it. And then in the future on the other side, when they've been treated, maybe have some regrets about that. So it's important to bring it up and talk about it with your provider.
0: Yeah. So it's a little bit about explaining the technology and the process, but about awareness as well. Definitely. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. This concludes this podcast for Women's Health with Dr. Hug. Again, I want to thank Dr. Arbuckle and Dr. Campbell for your time and expertise. It was really an amazing conversation.
2: Thank you for having us. It was a pleasure.
0: Great. As always, to our listeners, if you could comment and subscribe to this podcast, it would be greatly appreciated. We always welcome topics and suggestions for things that you want to hear from our group of experts. But hope you have a great day and feel free to gather additional information from uabmedicine.org. I hope you all have a great day. Thank you.